Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. Do you feel it? Do you? Do do you feel like uh, everything is shaking? Do you feel like an earthquake has hit the world? Do you feel like everything is falling apart around you? Do you feel like that you're in the middle of an earthquake and, and your house is shaking and the roof is about to cave in on you and everything is falling off the walls and you're like, what is going on? What is going on? Do you feel that today? I'm not talking, well, actually, maybe I'm not talking about a literal earthquake, but in a roundabout way, it feels like an earthquake because I don't know if you're aware, everything seems to be going absolutely crazy all around the world. Everything seems crazy. It feels like everything is unstable. It feels, it just feels like everything is falling apart. And in the midst of this instability, in the midst of this feeling like everything is shaking, in the midst of this feeling like we're in the middle of an earthquake, we need to figure out how we can find some stability. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, everyone. Yes, this is the Theology Central Podcast. It is Tuesday, February the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 4.03 p.m. Central Time. And I'm sitting here in the empty sanctuary, Victory Baptist Church, the middle of nowhere, Texas. But even though I'm in the middle of nowhere, Texas, I'm still very aware of all of the shaking that is going on. Let me just read some headlines that are right here in front of me right now. These are just the headlines that have popped up over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Here's what's going on. It says, the first headline, it's on. Okay, what are they talking? What what's on? What's going on? Defiant Putin rattles west. Troops enter Ukraine. Military bases next. Germany halts pipeline. Oil nears $100 a barrel. Danger cyber attacks on satellites. That's all basically dealing with what's going on right now in Ukraine with Russia. That situation is very unstable. There is lots of questions and what's going to happen. I've been listening to news reports literally since around midnight from all over the world, just trying to get an understanding of what is taking place. There is grave concern that not only is gas prices getting ready to just get even worse than they currently are, that food prices are going to go way up. So that means there's going to be economic impact on people all over the world. Not obviously that doesn't, that pales in comparison to what could possibly happen to the people in Ukraine. Uh, If Russia goes full blown invasion, they come in loss of life, destruction, death. That's crazy. And then we just know all of the political upheaval going on in our culture, how much the culture is divided. There's fighting and arguing and debating. Churches are splitting. It's just, there's just problems anywhere and everywhere you look. It's in, it's unstable. There's instability. Instability is the norm now. Everything is shaking. Everything seems to be crumbling. Everything seems to be falling apart. People are tired. People are frustrated. People are irritated. And many people feel that they can't even look to the church because the church offers 
no solution. And that in many cases, the church is so caught up in all of the instability of the culture that it's not offering any stability. It's only offering more fear, more anxiety, more confusion, and more debate. So, so where do we look? What, what, what's the hope? Where, where, is there anything we can cling on to? Is there any, is there something we can stand on where we can at least find some sense of relief and peace in the middle of basically a global earthquake that is impacting so many people? All right. Yeah, even, even, well, we, someone said Canada, Canada's having their own issues, all right? Even Canada is having their problems and, and all of the difficulties going on there. There's just so many issues. Like I literally, I could do an hour talking about all of the problems going on. Literally, I, you just name a country and you're like, oh, there's, that's going on. Name this country. That's going on. That's going on. That's going on. It's just, it's just so crazy. And everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a theory. Everyone, everyone feels that they, they know what to do. But when you hear all of those opinions and you hear that, you don't find any stability in all of that because everyone's opinions are different and there's fighting and arguing and debating. Everything just seems to be absolutely spiraling out of control. Whether that's a completely accurate feeling, it is a feeling that I think many people are struggling with. So what, where is hope? Where is stability? Well, we're going to turn our Bibles, to a minor prophet. A book that maybe you're familiar with, maybe a book you're not familiar with. We're going to, we're going to dig into the book and do a little bit of a, a background, a kind of an overview of the book, a little book background study. We're going to look really very much so at the first chapter of this minor prophet, because I think in this first chapter of this minor prophet, we get a biblical it, not only a biblical example of someone facing a world that seemed to be out of control, but we find, I think, a theological solution to the instability of the world. I think we're going to find where we can find stability. But before we open our Bibles to that minor prophet, I'm going to read something that I wrote down in my journal. And I want to make it very clear that, that I am borrowing now from St. Augustine, but I took his concepts and then changed it all up and added my words. But his, the structure of what I have here was inspired by, by Augustine. That's who it was inspired by. But I, I kind of made it my own. So I don't want you to think that I came up with this idea completely on my own. Augustine kind of went in a different direction, but I took his general concepts and then reworked it and reworded it as mine because I just, I hope this is bored. So this is kind of really... I'm just going to put this out there. I'm kind of putting the the answer before we really work through the text because I want this this answer to really be kind of the the thesis, really my hypothesis. I'm going to put it right at the very beginning. And this is very much connected with why I kind of started a, well, there were multiple reasons. I started I did a a, a introductory study on doctrine and this is very much connected to what we're going to be talking about. But this is what I wrote down in my journal. Here it is. Do not be moved by earthly reality. Be unmoved by looking to the immovable, unchanging God. Do not be moved by earthly reality. 
When you see the earthly realities, I don't care what it is. I don't care how crazy it is. Don't be moved by it. Don't be shaken by it. Don't be tossed to and fro because of it. And the only way that's going to happen is to get your eyes off the earthly reality that is filled with change. Look, there's change happening in our culture. There's change happening in our culture morally. There's change happening in our culture ideologically. There's change happening in our culture, cultural, politically, sexually. You just name all of the changes happening in our culture. It's hap- It's change, 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 change. And you can just focus in on that earthly reality. You can yell about it. You can scream about it. You can try to fight it. You can do it. And all you'll do is get tossed to and fro because of it. What you have to do is you don't look at the earthly reality. You have to look to the immovable, unchanging God. Because you're looking now to something that is immovable. Something that does not move. Something that does not change. Because everything you look at in culture, everything. Look, you can fight, you can argue, you can push back, you can protest, you can boycott, you can petition, you can vote, you can do everything you want to try to do. But let me remind you that no matter what you accomplish within this culture, it's going to change because that change, because whatever you can accomplish in culture, it requires from a human standpoint, people and people are constantly changing. Their ideas are changing. Their philosophies are changing. Their morality is changing because we're all sinners. You have to look to something beyond that, and that is to God who is immovable, who is unchangeable, right? The immovable, unchangeable God or immovable. I think I said, if I said unmovable, immovable and unchangeable. That's the way I have it written down in my journal. But let me, let me continue. I'm not done with the quote. Do not be moved by earthly reality. Now, do not be moved by earthly reality is directly from Augustine. That's his exact words. After that, I I start changing everything. Do not be moved by earthly reality. That phrase really struck me when I read that in Augustine. That really like, you're right. I should not be moved by earthly reality. But I find myself being moved. But I, so then I started thinking about this minor prophet. And when I started thinking about this, this minor prophet, I was like, oh, I know what he would tell me to do. He would tell me not to be moved by earthly reality, but be unmoved. I should be unmoved by looking to the immovable, unchanging God. Now, peace and tranquility, those those words are directly from Augustine because he talked about not being moved by earthly reality, but we can have peace and tranquility. But he kind of pointed in a different direction. I'll go with my, my direction. Peace and tranquility is found in the immutability of God. Peace and tranquility is found in the immutability of God. If you want peace and tranquility, it's not found in anything else other than the immutability of God. And what is immutability? What does it mean, the fact that God is immutable? Well, the word immutable is defined as if I can find the definition here, it is defined as as this, immutable, not capable or susceptible to change. Not capable or susceptible to change. God does not change. The world changes. Changes are happening by the minute. 
by the minute, last night, late last night from like midnight to three, I, I was just listening to everything from over from every news source I could find. And they kept saying, this situation is changing by the second. This situation is changing by the minute. And here's what's going on. Here's what Putin is doing. Here's what Russia is doing. Here's what troops are doing. It's changing. It's changing. Every time they would give an update, this is an ever changing situation. And as I kept listening, you're right, it continues to change. And I can sit here and listen to all of this change, and I'm not going to find any peace and tranquility. I'm not saying don't keep up with what's going on in the world. I'm saying, though, we have to look to something else. Peace and tranquility is found, peace and tranquility will not be found in looking to that. If I want peace and tranquility, I have to find it in the immutability of God. Fear and anxiety And worry, fear, anxiety, and worry is found in the ever-changing world. So now let me read the entire thing that I wrote in my journal. Do not be moved by earthly reality. Be unmoved by looking to the immovable, unchanging God. Peace and tranquility is found in the immutability of God. Fear, anxiety, and worry is found in the ever-changing world world. Everything in the world is changing. Everything around us is unstable. So where can I find stability? I think the answer is found in the minor prophet Habakkuk. I think Habakkuk is where we find our theological answer, our biblical answer. And the minor prophet Habakkuk. Now, it may not be a book that you have read recently. It may not be a book that you have studied in any depth, but I'm going to do the following over the next, hopefully, 40 minutes. I'm going to give you at least a general understanding of the book, and then we'll dig into chapter one, because chapter one is absolutely fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. And you'll see why. So let's do a little bit of work on Habakkuk. I'm going to be utilizing the ultimate Bible guide at different times here because I think it does a, it gives a very basic overview. By no means, listen. I don't want anyone to walk away from this going, ooh, I understand the book of Habakkuk now. I did an in-depth study. No, this is just a very much a basic summary and overview. So you have the basic concept of Habakkuk. And then we're going to dig a little bit into chapter one, but by we're just barely scratching the surface. We could obviously spend months, probably could spend a year working through the book of Habakkuk, but we're not going to do that today. Obviously, well, we couldn't spend a year today because that would be obviously impossible, but you get the idea. Here we go. Habakkuk, the seventh century Israelite prophet to Judah, right? The 7th central, uh, the 7th century BC prophet. They have it written this way. Habakkuk, the 7th century Israelite BC prophet, but 7th century BC Israelite prophet to Judah has given his name to the book as its composer. His name is possibly related either to the verb embrace or or, uh, embrace in Hebrew, or to an Assyrian plant. So either his name, uh, his name either refers to the the verb embrace, something we embrace in Hebrew, or to an Assyrian plant, right? Now, that that doesn't tell us a lot. The idea, if 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 it carried the idea of embrace, what does he have to embrace? 
Like, like that could be significant. It, it, we would have to look up in a number of sources. Habakkuk, where, where does his name, what does it seem to signify? What do other sources say about his name? But if it, if it, if it carries the idea, embrace, what does he, in a sense, what does Habakkuk have to learn to embrace? I think this is somewhat significant, especially when we look at the chapter we're going to be looking at. The plant, I don't know anything about the plant, so I can't say much about that. All right, the, uh, they, they give a key text. We won't, we won't get into that right now. They get into a key term. They say the key term in Habakkuk is the word dialogue. The book report reports a dialogue between the prophet and God. The prophet asked God questions about his ways and God answered The book shows one righteous way to bring concerns to God when his ways appear incomprehensible. So in a roundabout way, Habakkuk is looking around and he sees things that make absolutely no sense, things that bother him. He sees the ever-changing world around him and and it's incomprehensible to him. It doesn't make any sense. So he brings these concerns to God. And then he it receives an answer that is somewhat shocking. Somewhat like, what in the world? That makes absolutely no sense. So in a, in a roundabout way, what Habakkuk does, and this is, this is very interesting. Habakkuk shows us a prophet who sees a world that is changing and unstable. He looks to God for an answer. But God's answer creates even more confusion to him. He doesn't understand God's ways, God's wills. It's incomprehensible and it's confusing. So you could argue, well, wait a minute. So looking to God could lead to actually more instability, could actually lead to more confusion. It can until we see what Habakkuk does here because he he sees the changing world. He turns to God he is confronted with an answer that is even more incomprehensible than, than the situation he was already facing. But then he does something that is rather profound, and we'll see that in the text we'll be looking at. So the key term is dialogue. It's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. Here's a one-sentence summary of the book. When Habakkuk asks God questions about the nature of evil and its punishment, God answered by revealing his righteous his righteousness and sovereignty and the prophet then responded with worship and faith. I will change the summary this way. When Habakkuk is confused about the world around him, he asked questions to God. God answered by revealing a plan that is completely incomprehensible to Habakkuk. Habakkuk responds by focusing on what he knows to be true of God. That's the way I would summarize the book. Habakkuk is baffled and confused about the changing world around him. He is bothered by what he sees. He goes to God. God gives him an answer that is incomprehensible to Habakkuk. He's like, that makes, I I can't comprehend that. So what he does is he immediately grabs onto what he knows to be true of God. And he embraces that. He clings to that. He holds on to that. I think that's very important. 
the purpose of the book. The book preserves the divinely inspired dialogues and prayers of Habakkuk. These originally the, these originated as a one-on-one conversation between the prophet and God, but they no doubt reflect the kinds of questions that many righteous people of Judah living in Habakkuk, Habakkuk's time were also asking. Now, I will say this. I think the questions reflect the questions righteous people may ask living in any time, whether Habakkuk's time, any other time, any time described in the Bible, any time described in the history of America. The the righteous people would constantly have the very same kinds of questions. And I want this to be, this is very important. Sometimes within the history of the church, those who question, those who struggle, those who doubt are looked up, down upon are basically rebuked and condemned for not having faith and in many cases told to shut up, sit down, and color in the lines. And I, and I reject that. The Bible has no problem with people struggling and asking questions. Read some of the things Job has to say in the midst of his confusion and suffering. He says some very strong words that if you were to say this in the average small group at your church, everybody would be, I can't believe he said that and probably think, oh, we we need to get the demon out of him and he probably needs to get saved. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to question. It's okay okay to look at the world around you and be like, it makes no sense to me. You look at the world today, what's happening? What's going to happen to all the people in Ukraine? What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to to the economy of of countries all around the world are going to be impacted by this? What is the humanitarian crisis that we're getting ready to possibly see play out before our eyes? How many people are possibly going to die? Hopefully, it turns out not to be as severe as it currently looks. What do we do in the midst of confusion and struggle with culture and government? What do we do in the middle of, of all the things that we have faced over the last few years and it just seems like there's still more instability coming? It's okay to go, I don't get this. I don't understand. It's okay to ask those questions. Habakkuk asks the questions. Righteous people have been asking these questions forever. The righteous of all eras may ask similar questions. God's people today will benefit from hearing God's replies to Habakkuk. Questions. One, why does evil seem to go unpunished for so long? Two, why does God sometimes reprove the less evil by sending an even greater evil? These are some of the questions asked. Let me go through those again. Why does evil seem to go unpunished for so long? And number two, why does God sometimes reprove those who are less evil by sending in an even greater evil? You, you may like, look, Lord, I know I'm sinful, but why in the world is that happening? Why, why is this occurring? That's even greater evil. Habakkuk focuses attention on the worldview categories of God, of God, sovereignty, providence, ethics, and morality. The book causes readers to consider the attributes of God when their experience appears to deny that he is just. Now, stop right there. That is worth $75 million, and I'm not even going to ask you for a penny. 
You may not even realize how significant this is. Let me read this to you again. Habakkuk focuses attention on the worldview categories of God, sovereignty, of, of God, sovereignty, and providence, ethics, and morality. The book causes readers to consider the attributes of God when their experience appears to deny those attributes. That's, I'm going to change the wording here. The book of Habakkuk causes you to consider the attributes of God when your experience appears to deny those very attributes. When things don't make any sense, when there is confusion all around you, you've got to look to God and his attributes, uh, like his immutability, his holiness, his justice, even though the reality that you're looking at seems to deny maybe those attributes. We have to cling to, listen, this is very important. The only way to have stability in an unstable world, the only way to have stability in the midst of instability is for you to have a stable theology of God. A correct theology of God is what brings stability in the midst of instability. If you try to understand God in light of the reality in which you see, you will have an unstable theology. You have to see the instability uh, of the world through the lens of a stable theology. We do not develop our theology about God by looking at the world. We understand the world by, by seeing the world through the theology of God. So many times people draw conclusions about God by looking at the world in which they encounter. They look at what people do in the church. They look at what their family did. You can't draw your understanding about God from the earthly reality. You must understand earthly reality by understanding God based off his revelation of himself. So many times people's conclusion about God is based off an experience. They say, I, well, I believe this about God. And then they will describe something they experienced. My experience does not define God. I understand my experience by understanding God first. We have to have a right, stable theology. That gives us the ability to understand the earthly reality. If we don't have a stable theology, then our theology crumbles and falls apart when the world doesn't make any more sense and it doesn't, and we can't understand God anymore. A lot of people look to understand God by trying to understand the world around them. That is not the way you do theology. We look to the revelation of God to understand God. Then that helps us stand firm when the world doesn't make any sense and it helps us be able to under to maintain a correct view of God. This is like basic theology 101. This is why the study of theology is absolutely essential. This is why doctrine is such an important sub. The more unstable the world becomes, the more crazy the world becomes, the more important the more important theology is. It's one of the things that I'm so disappointed that when everything was going crazy with the pandemic, the church wanted to respond to the pandemic. It wanted to talk about the pandemic. It wanted to talk about this rule and that rule, and we should do this and we should do that, and we should do this and we should do that. We focused on earthly reality and we started responding to earthly reality based off 
earthly reality. And what we should have been doing is turning our attention to the things of God. That's one of the reasons I tried at the very beginning of the pandemic to do catechesis in the midst of a pandemic. Wasn't a very popular series. This is, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I opened up a catechism and tried to talk about the catechism in the middle of the pandemic, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't get a lot of downloads. I would get a lot of downloads. But if I started talking about mandates or this or, or this or vaccines or, or, oh, boom, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads and emails coming, pouring in and everybody wanted to fight and argue. And yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody wanted to spend time, well, learning theology. Because the, our, our initial reaction is always, is, what does theology got to do with this? We got to talk about the problems going on in the world. But you focus in on the problems in the world, they're ever changing, constantly changing. You're just going to find yourself with no peace, no tranquility, and you're going to find yourself being tossed to and fro. We have to look to the theology of God. That gives us the stability in the instability, and we cannot understand God by looking at earthly realities. We look to God to understand earthly realities. We don't look to earthly realities in which to understand God. This is all going to make sense. This is, trust me, I got, I, I wanted to give at least 30 minutes by, by going through all of this, but okay, here we go. All right. So Habakkuk focuses, uh, forces attention on the worldview categories of God, sovereignty and providence, ethics and morality. The book causes readers to consider the attributes of God when their experience appears to deny that he is just, or I'm going to say, when your experience seems to deny those attributes. Further, the book addresses the issue of God's care for his people and the presence of great evil. The question of what is moral in international relations, particularly when one nation Wars against another is also in view. What is moral when nations are fighting nations? Oh, wait, we've got that question going right now with Russia and Ukraine, right? And we, I tried to prepare you for that by having you study the just war doctrine. The, the, this book goes on to say, the answers God gave the prophet show him as the revealer of truth. The revelations God made focuses on his absolute sovereignty over human history. Habakkuk's own passion was a concern for the glory of God's name to be known among all the people. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. Now they, they go on to say, what, uh, what do we learn about humanity? What we learn about salvation? Is Christ seen in Habakkuk? They go through all of those general things. We're going to we're going to skip all of that, but I'm going to give you a, a very important historical note. Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar II, took thousands of Judean residents as captives to Mesopotamia and three deportations, 605 BC, 597 BC, and 586 BC. The, thor the third uh, de uh, deportation if I said desperation, I'm, I don't know why I'm putting an S there. Okay, so let's read this again. We want accuracy here. Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar II took thousands of Judean residents as captives to Mesopotamia and three deportations, 605, 597, and 586 BC. The third deportation took place when Jerusalem its walls and its temples were 
destroyed. Those are all historical facts. Remember those historical facts and understanding some of what's, understanding Habakkuk, because it will make it very important, all right? Now, when did the events of the book of Habakkuk happen? They have a possible date of somewhere between 612 and 605 BC. Now, why is that important? When was the first deportation? 605. So this possibly is leading right up to the first deportation of Nebuchadnezzar II taking Judean residents captive to Mesopotamia. So this, this, this is leading right into that. And you're going to see this in the first chapter. The book appears to belong to a time after Babylon or Chaldea had risen to power, but before Babylon had directly attacked Judah. Babylon conquered Assyria in 612 BC, and then in 605, they defeated the Egyptians. Um, and then, well, they, they named some of the battles, and I'm not going to go all through all of that. The, later the same year, Nebuchadnezzar made his first attack against Jerusalem. So they go after the Assyrians, then the Egyptians, then they come after Jerusalem, right? That's the historical context, right? And then I, I, I could read more here. I could read more here, but I, I, and I could reference some more historical facts, but I will not. That just sets it up. So just think about what's going on at the time of Habakkuk. Babylon is becoming a world power. Babylon is advancing. Babylon is conquering nations. Babylon is going to be a source of serious concern and worry and trouble because you can feel the earth shaking. You can feel trouble coming. Now, let's go to Habakkuk chapter one. The book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter one, verse one, all right? We're 34 minutes in. I wanted to be right here at the 30 minute mark. So I'm about four minutes behind, but that's okay. Here we go. The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet did see. Remember the burden, it's like a message. It's like a, a, a weighty message that has to be delivered. It's a, if you've, if you've ever been a, if you've ever preached or maybe even as a Sunday school teacher, sometimes you feel this burden, this weight of the message which you need to preach. Maybe it's something you've studied, something you were reading in the scriptures and you feel like, or maybe it's something you're, you realize there's something going on in your church and you need to address it biblically. Biblically, that, that that's a burden. So it's the prophet has this message. And he starts off, remember, this is dialogues. This is conversations between Habakkuk and the prophet. He starts off this way. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou will not save. Habakkuk clearly is weighed down by things, by earthly realities. And he's like, God, I keep crying out to you. You're not listening. You're not doing anything. How long? Now, someone say, Habakkuk, you, you're not showing faith. Habakkuk. You're not being very godly. No, he, he is struggling with the earthly realities. We are all confronted. Again, just go to any news site right now, right? If, if I had the ability, uh, right now we're, we're broadcasting on two different platforms, so I don't, but I could pull up audio clips of news broadcast right now all over the world talking about everything that's happening. 
And you're going to be looking at everything going on and you'll be like, Lord, what is happening? A lot of people watch the pandemic for the last two years. Like, Lord, what is going on? People may be worried about this and maybe you just name the issue. Everyone voices their concern and they're bothered and they're worried. What's going to happen? And what's happening to our world? What's happening to our country? What's happening to the church? What's going on? Lord, where are you? Verse three, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me and there are that rise up strife and contention. Lord, why are you showing me everything that's wrong in the world? It's all around me. And he names things, iniquity, uh, spoiling, violence, strife, contention. Verse four, therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. It's just, there's injustice, there, there is no right justice, everything is all messed up. God, where are you? Now, I want you to understand, it's not the first time a person of, a person of faith have struggled with these questions. It's not the first time, it's not the last time. This is around 607 BC. If I, if I said AD, when I give the time, I apologize. BC. Here we are in 2022. People of faith may ask the exact same question. Verse five. Now, according to most, and I think we can read this, that verse five, now this is one of the things that make Habakkuk difficult. You have to figure out when is Habakkuk speaking? When does God speak? Right? Okay, that's Habakkuk. Now God is intervening. He is speaking. All right? Now what I'm going to do here, I'm going to bring up a number of translations for a lot of these verses. I'm going to go all the way back to verse five. Because I think some translations may indicate exactly the change of speaker. But this is one of the things that you have to be good and pay close attention to as a good Bible student when reading Habakkuk, all right? Um, like the New Living Translation, I'll just give you an example. The New Living Translation for Habakkuk 1.5. The Lord replied. Right? The Lord replied. They put it in the translation, letting you know. In, the, in my King James Bible, it, verses one through four, Habakkuk's cry to the Lord. Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord in verses one through four. Verse five, God's reply. So Habakkuk doesn't understand what's, God, what are you doing? What, what are you going to do about this mess? And then God replies in verse five. How, what is his reply? I'm gonna read this from a number of translations. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if I were, even if you were told. Another translation, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. ESV, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. Berean Study Bible, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded for I'm doing a work in your day that you would never believe even if someone told you. King James, behold, Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your day which will which ye will not believe though it be told you. Now, if someone rips that verse out of context and like God is doing something in our midst and you wouldn't believe it, 
just just whenever if they try that, just stop them and go, come on, come on. Let's put this back in its historical context. This is God's reply to Habakkuk. And he's speaking specifically of what he's getting ready to do. I will argue starting in around 605 BC. All right, 605 BC. I would have to look, wait, the first, I got to make sure I get the, uh, all of the, I got to look up the deportations again, one more time. Give me one more, give me one second. I want to make sure I don't get the numbers. Uh, I don't give, say anything that's incorrect. The fir- yeah, the first deportation was 605. For some reason, I was thinking it was 607. The first deportation is 605. Second is 597. And the third is 586 BC. Now, this is all taking place somewhere between 612 to 605. Some put it around 607. So just a few years before this thing that's getting ready to happen. And what's getting ready to happen, what he's getting ready to do has to do with uh, Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar II, and the deportations of the uh, residents of Judah. That's what's getting ready to take place. And he's like, you would be amazed. Even if someone told you, you wouldn't believe what's about to happen. Now, now, when you first read it, you may think, oh, wow, you know, Habakkuk may be like, great, you're going to do something amazing about time because this place is a complete and utter mess. The world is falling apart. You do something amazing. Stop the earth from shaking. Bring stability because everything is crazy. So when, when Habakkuk first hears those word, words, you could be like, oh, well, okay, yeah, good, good, good. About time he's going to do something. But what is he going to do? Well, I've already kind of given you the clue, but here we go. Verse six, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. I know you read that in 2022 and you don't even care, right? You're, you're like, okay, whatever. Let me try to put it in a... a, a Modern context. Let me try to put it in a modern context that you will care. You're, you're sitting in an empty sanctuary like I am. Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of nowhere, whatever, whatever state you live in. I'm in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the news and I'm looking at the world and I'm like, Lord, what is going on? There's violence, there's evil, there's wickedness. It's just it's crazy. The world is falling completely and utterly apart. The church is falling apart. Do something. And God's like, okay, I'll do something, something you wouldn't even believe. I'm like, okay, okay, what is it? I'm going to allow Russia not only to take Ukraine, they're going to come in and completely defeat and conquer the United States of America. And you, everyone in America is going to be basically, you're going to be captive to Russia. Now, I think your immediate reply would be like, wait, what? Okay, wait, 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 never mind, Lord, just forget what I said. Just let us stay the, the way we are. This is the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are coming. Evil, as God even describes them as a hasty, a hasty nation. If I said, uh, if I, if I said something else, I apologize. Bitter and hasty nation. That's who I'm going to bring. Uh, all the other translations, they describe it this way. I'm rising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and pietous, uh, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. New Living Translation, I'm rising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. Cruel, violent, impetuous. They're coming. That's who I'm going to bring up. 
That, that can cause some confusion. Now, I got to go quickly. I got to go quickly because we're going to run out of time. Verse 7, they, back to the King James, they're terrible and dreadful. Their judgments and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come uh, come all for violence. Their faces shall shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand and they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend imputing that his power unto his God. That's all verses one through 11. That's what's coming. The Babylonians are coming. Now, what do you do when you read that? What do you do when you hear that? Now, listen, he already saw the world and the mess that it was in. That was, uh, that was instability. It was unstable. He turns to God and the answer is a coming army that's going to destroy, take, defeat, and death. Horrible, ruthless violence. And that would only lead to more confusion and more instability in the mind of the prophet and anybody else reading it. So what do you do when you're confronted with an unstable world and a plan or a will of God that is beyond your comprehension and it makes no sense? What do you do? Do you just forget God's will, forget God's plan and say, "Forget God, we'll take care of it from here. No, 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 no. At that moment, you got to remember theology class. At that moment, you got to remember what you know to be true of God. And that's what happens immediately in verse 12. I'm going to read it in a number of translations. Lord, are you not from everlasting? Another translation. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, ESV, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Berean Study Bible, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Please note everything he goes to. He mentions that everlasting, my God, that this kind of covenant relationship, holy. That's what he, 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 he turns to. He turns to theology 101. God, you're eternal. The eternality of God. God, you are holy. He he starts remembering the truths of God. Look, he doesn't try to understand God in light of what he is witnessing. He's now going to look at what he's hearing, what he's going to experience, the earthly reality he's about to encounter. He's going to view that in light of these truths of God that are not changeable because of the earthly reality. The truths of God are not changed by earthly reality. God is always holy. He's always eternal. He's always unchangeable, no matter what earthly reality you experience or encounter. So let me read this from a number of translations. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. 
O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have set these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. ESV, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have established them as a judgment and you, O rock, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Brian Study Bible, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. He starts naming all of these things that are true. He, he starts holding on to these things. Um, think of it this way. Uh, this is how one commentary puts it. Habakkuk calls to mind God's immutability and his covenant with Israel. He, he immediately begins to cling to what he knows. He may not can quite understand everything, but he knows that these things are true no matter what he sees or what he encounters. He grabs on to what he knows to be true of God. Let's go to, to the next verse, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up these more righteous than themselves? He, he goes back and still focuses on some things that are true of God, but he still has questions. But he still grabs onto what he knows to be true of God. If I read this from the uh, King James, I'm going to read verse 12 and 13. Are thou not from everlasting? Now, he's asking it almost in a question form. Some translate it almost as he's saying it just as an affirmative statement. But even if he's asking it in a question for, uh, form, it it's implies a known stated answer. It's a rhetorical question. Are thou not from everlasting? Clearly you are. Oh, Lord, my God. He's remembering covenant relationship. Uh, holy one, you are holy. We shall not die. Now, some some translations have it you will not die, but it's the idea that we will not die. Then what he's remembering, you've made a covenant. In other words, we will not be totally destroyed. No matter what you're going to do, I don't understand a lot. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know this, you're, you're eternal. I know this, you're my God. I know this, you're holy. I know this, we will not be completely destroyed. Oh Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. No, in other words, okay, if this has happened, well, it's because of your sovereign plan. Thou art are of purer eyes than to behold evil. Once again, he reminds himself of God's holiness. Now, I know, I know we, could, we could dig more into the text, but here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to think about. I want you to grasp this. This is so important. When you see the earthly realities of change, of sin, of violence, of war, of poverty, of plague, of famine, of death, of disease, when you are confronted with all of those realities, don't seek to understand God in light of those realities. Look beyond those realities to God and remind yourself of what God reveals of himself in the Bible. And this is what God reveals of himself in the Bible. He is creator. He is all powerful. He is holy. He is unchangeable. He is the judge. 
He will have mercy in whom he will have mercy and he will judge whom he will judge. Remember that and cling to those theological realities because those do not change. No matter what you see, no matter what you experience, those things are true of God. Remember, God is a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of love. Even if you don't seem to understand or may not even seem, feel like that you are experiencing it. He is a God of truth, a God of justice, a God of love. Start finding every verse you can about who God is. When the world becomes more and more unstable, The only stability is found in the immovable, unchangeable God. So what you have to remind yourself Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is those attributes of God. When people look to the world and say, well, why would God, why would God, why would God, why would God? They're trying to understand God in light of what they see. Stop looking at earthly realities. Look to the revelation of God given in his word. That's what Habakkuk reminds He He at least immediately goes back to, God, you're everlasting. God, you are holy. God, we will not die. If, if, if we translate that as the, he's saying that we, were, we will not die, we will not be completely destroyed because you made a covenant with us. He restarts remembering what God had revealed of himself. He doesn't, he looks above the earthly reality that he's hearing about and he's reminding himself of the eternal reality of God. The earthly reality must be understood of from the perspective of an eternal reality. That's what we must look to. Just to kind of add to this, I, I want to keep going in Habakkuk. Oh, I want to keep going, but Go to uh, Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that rightly early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God is your refuge and your strength. When you look to him, and you look to the fact that he's unchangeable, he's immovable, he is holy, he is sovereign, he is right, even though you are confronted with a world that isn't right, and you may even be confronted with a sovereign God working out something that doesn't appear to be right in your mind. Like Habakkuk may not understand, why would you use these pagans to come after us? Why would you use the evil Babylonians? He may not understand it. But you know what? Even though you can't understand God's plan, you still know God is holy because the Bible reveals that God is holy, holy, holy. You may not understand it, but you know that his his mercy endures forever, that his mercy is everlasting. It endures forever. You know that he's a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of love. You know those things are true. Even though you don't understand, you can't see that. 
in the light of earthly reality. That's why you got to look beyond the earthly reality to the eternal reality. And the eternal reality is what God has revealed of himself in his word. Theology is essential to you having stability. Theology proper is the, is the source of you not being overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, and worry. And the reason we have some sense of stability and peace is not because we ignore earthly reality, it's because we see that reality in face of eternity. And we, we focus on that eternal reality. Everything may be shaking, everything may be collapsing, everything may be falling apart. We focus on what would God have us do? Well, we know, pray, minister, serve, preach the gospel. That's why the New Testament doesn't have, Jesus is not calling for an army of people to go make Jerusalem great again or to fix the culture. He doesn't have them trying to get them involved in fixing the culture or redeeming the culture from an earthly perspective. His call is to go call, preach the gospel so that people can be redeemed eternally. We get, we get so preoccupied by the earthly reality that every, our perspective gets completely destroyed. Now, I had to cut that short. In this way, that we could have want long, I wanted to go through the entire chapter of Habakkuk, and then I realized that my my intro took thirty. Then I wanted to dedicate thirty to the whole chapter, but there's no way I was going to get through the whole chapter in thirty. So I had to cut that short to at least try to pound in some of those principles so that you do not forget them, and hopefully you wrote them down. Now I would challenge you: finish reading, read the rest of Habakkuk, read the the uh, the rest of the dialogue. Read the the rest of the discussions. But remember, everything that he struggles with, those deportations are still going to happen. They still happened. I mean, they they occurred in real real time. Jerusalem is still going to be destroyed. All of those things were going to happen. He was going to have to understand them from the perspective of focusing on the reality of God. So that's why you study doctrine. That's why you study theology. Because you always must look to theology and doctrine because that is the truth of God that is unchangeable. Changing world does not change an immovable, immutable God. Studying the truths of God, those truths are not changed by an ever-changing culture who denies those truths. There you go. You can email me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Those in the Discord channel, if you want to have any thoughts about what we just talked about, let me know. All right, I'll stop right there. There you go. That's a little Habakkuk on a Tuesday afternoon when the world seems to be currently shaking and falling apart. I think it's an important book at a very critical time in our history. I hope you will consider it Think about it, meditate on it. Everyone have a great day. God bless.